What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast. I am Will Brinson, the host of CBS Sports' daily NFL podcast, and perhaps the only daily NFL-only podcast in the entire world. Not up to me to tell you what whether it's true or not. It's up to you to do the research. I'll tell you what is. By the way, it's Friday, August 15th. Man, are we excited? Preseason football underway. Week two is rolling. We're getting close to the season. Um, but, but speaking of daily podcasts, if you're not subscribing to fantasy football today, what are you doing with your life right now? This is the time, the month, the year, the day of your life to get into fantasy football today. There, there's a cavalcade of experts. Heath Cummings, Dave Richard, Jamie Eisenberg, Ben Gretsch, Chris Towers, if there was anyone worth mentioning, I would mention them. Trust me. Um, and they produ- they produce one of the best podcasts that comes out daily. They break down sleepers, bust, breakouts, wh- like what to do if you're picking fifth in a standard league, what to do if you're picking third in a PPR league. This is must-have information, and they deliver it on a daily basis, video version too. So I highly recommend checking that out. If you like this show, you will love Fantasy Football Today. Uh, the, I don't want to say the personalities are more colorful because they're not, but the information might be better, at least from a fantasy perspective. You're trying to get ready for the season. Do it. Go subscribe. And and while you're doing me a favor, because you're doing me that favor by subscribing to the Fantasy Football Today podcast, do me a favor, everyone, everyone who listens to the Pick 6 podcast, I need this. Go to sportsline.com slash join and sign up for Sportsline. It's a, this is going to cost you a dollar, one single dollar. Sign up at sportsline.com slash join and use the promo code Brinson. And if I win this contest, I will give back to the Pick 6 crew, the Pick 6 nation, because you guys uh, are an incredible, an incredibly loyal uh, group of people. And frankly, I wouldn't, my job, I'd probably be fired if it weren't for you people who were so wonderful. Um, we are going to break down the news and notes from week two of the preseason. My my laptop has officially landed, I think. It sounded like an aircraft carrier for a second. And then uh, John Breach and I are going to talk to Warren Sharp of sharpfootballanalysis.com. He has tons of great information. If you if, if David Taze of this podcast will recall, Warren dished out Colts over, Bears over last year. And those crushed. I mean, it wasn't even close. Those were the Colts didn't look great out of the gate, but they both won in a big way. It was like six and a half on each one of them. If you took those, you won big. Um, you should follow him at Sharp Football. And uh, I'm trying to think what else. Oh yeah, uh, listener leagues. Um, we're not going to do a, a four team, four to four league listener crazy, uh, you know, fantasy football league this year. I, I can't, I can't deal with it. I got enough going on. Um, I got enough, I got enough fantasy leagues I'm managing on my own, not to mention this daily podcast. And, uh, as I like to point out, a five-year-old, right? A five-year-old. Um, but we will do some DFS and maybe some best ball. Stay tuned for that. This coming week is going to be fantasy week. We're going to be in Fort Lauderdale all week long. Myself, John Breach, Ryan Wilson, Sean Wagner McGuff. It's going to be a super friends extravaganza. We're going to knock out a ton of podcasts. Make sure if you have a question you want asked, whether it's fantasy related or life related, Sean's love life related, Ryan's age related, whatever it is, let us know by leaving a five star review on uh, Apple Podcasts. We will take all uh, everything that's left over. We're gonna we're gonna do a big mailbag before we leave Fort Lauderdale. We'll be there for five days. Additionally, there is a giant fantasy football telethon 
coming on CBS Sports. I know we're verging on five minutes of me promoing stuff, but tis the season, folks. And there's lots of things to promo, right? Um, so we're going to do, I, I can't reveal what the, it, it's going to be fun. There's a theme to it. We're going to raise a bunch of money for St. Jude's. You're going to watch on cbssports.com slash live or on CBS Sports HQ, whether it's through your Apple TV, your Roku, what, how, your Amazon Fire, however else you watch your CBS Sports HQ. We will be taking calls. There will be retired NFL players, big names, mind you, plus myself. I have, I've, I've already coordinated with my wife about my costume. We're big uh, 80s fans, love to dress up in 80s gear. Um, we're, we may send Ryan and Sean out and take a video crew and have Sean buy 80s gear. He was born in the 90s, so he has no idea what the hell he's buying. We may send them out together and videotape it as he's buying 80s gear and like actually have Ryan be like his dad. He's out there shopping. It could be entertaining. But the point is, watch the telethon next Thursday. So you're listening to this Friday. It's six days from now. Watch the telethon, call in if you have questions, and donate some money. And we appreciate if you do that. I'm not saying you should part with all your cash, but just, you know, donate some money to St. Jude's. It'll help everybody. Let's get to the news. A bunch of preseason games happened on Thursday night. And frankly, I think the one that really was the most polarizing, and it wasn't even close because I tweeted about this, Lamar Jackson, 6 of 10. 58 yards, nothing saucy, but Lamar Jackson also ran for 14 yards. I'm just kidding. He actually had an 18-yard touchdown run that was nullified by a blindside block on Willie Sneed. And, of course, that, that reversed the touchdown. But if you watch the, the touchdown run, it's incredible. Um, I, I think what's interesting about this is that we are presupposing that Lamar Jackson, we being – I don't know. Certain people, certain demographics. I, I'm not presupposing that Lamar Jackson cannot develop as a passer. I think he can. And Warren Sharp's going to have some interesting stuff to say about Lamar Jackson and the Ravens coming up after the break in a few minutes. But the idea that Lamar Jackson's the new polarizing guy. I mean, Michael Vick was pretty polarizing in his day. Everyone was sort of in, 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 like enchanted by his physical abilities. We got so many good like physically good players that no one is necessarily enchanted by Lamar Jackson. And yet, I mean, I, every time I think about picking about the rape, picking against the Ravens, I get a little nervous because what if he develops as a passer? He got better in college. He might not get better in the pros. If they run him 150 times, I don't think it's sustainable. But war, again, Warren has some good stats about rushing yards, uh, rushing team, like rushing defenses. Listen to it after this. Uh, we'll get back to the Ravens in a second. Aaron Rodgers, by the way, didn't play tightness in his back. That probably relates to the fact that I drafted him in our editorial league. Uh, after I drafted Keenan Allen, his ankle got hurt. And after I drafted Aaron Rodgers, his back got tight. So if, if you want me to draft somebody that will, you know, uh, get hurt, let me know, I guess. Um, Kyler Murray, not a, uh, not a great start. So far, punt, 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 safety through five drives. Uh, for Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury's offense. Now, the natural reaction to this, and boy, was it bad. I mean, I mean, like, it wasn't, I mean, like, it looked, it looked bad. It was bad on the scoreboard. No one needs to defend it. You can say that Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury are purposely hiding whatever they're planning on doing. He was three of eight for 12 yards. That's effing terrible. 
I mean, that is horrible. Three of eight for 10 yards, for 12 yards. His first drive was, it, it, let's, let's look at this first drive from, from, uh, from Kyler Murray. Uh, first, Kyler Murray left in, pushed out of bound, penalty, illegal use of hands. So it's five yard, five yards forward. Uh, Arizona, delay of game. Kyler Murray, pass incomplete. David Johnson at the middle for four yards. Geez, Cleveland Farrell with the hands, man. Stop. Kyler Murray, pass incomplete. David Johnson left in, minus two yards. Penalty on Kyler Murray, false start. Kyler Murray, pass short right to Christian Kirk. Offensive pass interference declined. I mean, the, the, the punt, I mean, like it's a whole, it's a whole mess of a situation. Now, I, I understand it. Cliff Kingsbury may be going vanilla. He may, but this is not an RG3 situation. This is not, you know, he's not un, like there's some secret, like sub layer to whatever he's doing offensively that he's just not unveiling. We did, we had no idea in 2012. We had no idea that RG3, Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan, and the Redskins would unveil the read option. No one saw it coming. It's easy to forget that now. No one saw it coming. When they start, when they dropped that, they, cause I went to those training camps and RG3 was a rookie. They would not let you, they, they had everything on lockdown. And when they unveiled it at the, at the start of the regular season, it blew people's minds. That's what started the fad. Um, Kingsbury, I get it. I, I, I like Kingsbury. I like Kyler, but I don't know. I am worried about this offensive line. I'm worried about their ability to play tempo. I am worried about the weapons ar- around him. Larry Fitzgerald is a Hall of Famer, obviously, but he's very old. Andy Isabella is a rookie. Hakeem Butler is a rookie. I'm just not sure. I mean, David Johnson's great, but without a good offensive line, is he, is he going to be that great? I'm a little worried about this. I would not be, I'm not drafting Kyler Murray this weekend in fantasy drafts. Probably not next weekend. Probably not ever. I'm just not paying the price it costs to get Kyler Murray. You get Cam Newton cheaper, Dak Prescott cheaper, Lamar Jackson cheaper. I mean, obviously you get my man Mitchell Trubisky cheaper. Shout out to Bears fans. Um, so bad, bad day for uh, Kyler Murray. Good news. Great day for my man Mike Lennon. 11 of 14 for 175 yards and two teeters. 158.3, a perfect passer rating from Mike G. Uh, unfortunately, Nate Peterman, 8 of 8 for 41 yards as well. So that, that backup battle continues. Derek Carr, by the way, 2 of 2 for 40 yards and, and one touchdown. Exciting news for him. Very proud of him. Um, th- th- throws were wide open in case you care. Uh, I think Glenn will beat out Peterman, but who the hell knows with what, you know, but Gruden does. Gruden's a lunatic. Worth noting that uh, Josh Jacobs, and we'll segue to some running backs here. Josh Jacobs, four carries, 21 yards. They got him out of there quick. He looked awesome. I think you can get him in the fourth round or thereabouts in your fantasy drafts. I like that value. He He's flying under the radar. We're a little worried about this offensive line. Yes, Tom Cable stinks. Um, we're a little, a little worried about them being down because the defense is bad. Yeah, but Josh Jacobs is very good. Also good. In terms of rookie running backs, Justice Hill of the, uh, the Ravens, go back to that Lamar Jackson game. Justice Hill, 10 carries, 49 yards and a touchdown, used him a lot. You're not, you're not drafting him till later because Mark Ingram's your guy. Mark Ingram is a great value. Take Mark Ingram. He ran great out of shotgun with the Saints. They're going to use him in shotgun with Lamar Jackson, a bunch of read stuff. You can get him in like the fifth or sixth round. He's a steal. No one wants Mark Ingram. Take Mark Ingram in your drafts. Um, and Miles Sanders, another steal. I mean, the, the first big run he had, I think it was like 16 yards. 
Let me check this. 16 yards, yeah. Five carries, 31 yards, 16 yards. I mean, look, Boston Scott ran for seven carries, 43 yards, and one touchdown. Jaguars weren't playing hard. Uh, but Miles Sanders had open room, and he is clearly the most talented running back in that group. And you can get him for next to nothing. So draft Miles Sanders as well. He is a guy I think that can start, uh, like, he, like, you're going to draft him. If, if you draft a quarterback and a tight end early, he's, you draft him as a flex. And if, if not, you're drafting him as a bench running back who maybe blows up and can start for you. So dra- draft Miles Sanders. I, I think I'm in on Miles Sanders. I'm probably going to try and snare all the, all three of these guys this weekend if their, uh, ADP doesn't, uh, shoot through the roof. Speaking of the Eagles, they have major quarterback problems. Nate Sudfield, as we documented last week, uh, injured wrist. Now Cody Kessler is in the, in the concussion protocol, which leaves Clayton Thornton of, uh, Northwestern fame. He's the only backup left to Carson Wentz. I guess next week they'll play Carson Wentz a half, maybe a quarter and just let Clayton rock it out for the next week and a half. I don't know. It's a weird situation for the Eagles. They have to see how, what Cody Kessler does once he gets in the concussion protocol. They got like the, they know Subfeld's gone for a while. I mean, Clayton's a young dude. It's not a great spot. Dwayne Haskins, I thought, actually looked uh pretty good. He he looked exactly the way you thought he should look. Seven of fourteen, not great completion percentage. One hundred fourteen yards and a touchdown. He looked athletic. He moved around. He threw the ball really well, and then he made some you know dumb throws. He's a rookie. He's a high end rookie quarterback who's like. Extremely athletic and is battling against NFL caliber defenses. By the way, that game went under 36 points. I told, I, if you, if you read today's top picks, you know to take the, uh, the under on that game and, uh, take the Ravens to cover. They won by 13. Two and under night. No big deal. Um, you should read those stories. Today's top picks. Myself, Tom Finelli, Chip Patterson, RJ White might write them. RJ Ed's edited some. Um, you should check those out. We, uh, we have some good picks in there every day. And, uh, finally, oh boy. Oh, actually, no, before we do finally, uh, Sam Darnold looked awesome. I think Sam Darnold is going to have a big year. He, uh, when you look at what Darnold does relative to his skill set and what he did at USC, short passes, quick reads, it, it meshes perfectly with Adam Gase's offense. And no one likes to get an Adam Gase joke off more than I do. The Tacos Titanic thing, I watch it at least once a week. Right. I'd like, I'll wake up and, and start giggling and my wife will be like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm watching the taco Titanic gaze thing again. She's like, what? You're a psychopath. What's wrong with you? Like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I love the gaze, uh, tacos and Titanic. Um, but having said that, I think Darnold's a perfect fit. If I'm, I'm drafting late in, uh, in, 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 you know, like, like I'm getting quarterbacks late in drafts. I might, I might throw like Lamar Jackson and Sam Darnold and just see what happens. Darnold could be a high volume guy, but uh, Quentin Williams also destroyed a Falcons uh, guard. Destroyed. Quentin Williams is a bad man. Jets could, Jets, I should have included the Jets on the, uh, the playoff teams. Maybe over the Bills. I don't know. I think it's a hit or miss. One of those teams is going to make a wild card. Just depends on, you know, who, who can get the most out of their young quarterback? And I'm telling you, when you watch Darnold, to the throws to the perimeter he made, where it's like he's sort of on his back foot and you're wondering if he should throw them, but then he put it in a place where they couldn't be caught and they were still, like, it still had velocity on it. I mean, he looks good. I am in on Sam Darnold. 
I'm not in on pass interference issues. Kelvin Harmon, my man, flagged for OPI. It, it, find this, find this clip. It is terrible. It is disgusting. He goes, it's, a, it's an underthrow by Dwayne Haskins. He goes up over the defender to try and catch it. They call OPI. It's clearly not OPI. And then they come back and they affirm it on replay. I mean, it is horrific. It is a very, very bad call. And it is, uh, this is, this is the new, uh, this is the new roughing the passer, right? So last year we had roughing the passer. That was a big thing in the preseason and people were freaking out about it and people were convinced that at some point in the season, it was going to be a situation where, you know, there's a bad roughing the passer call and it would ruin the league and ruin the, ruin the world. Um, and it never happened. So maybe this won't be the case. Um, there's another situation in, uh, Philadelphia Jacksonville where, an Eagles defender goes up and grab, or excuse me, a Jaguars defender goes up as Nick Foles, I believe, you know, I guess it was Cody Kessler, is throwing into the end zone to Nelson Aguilar and he grabs his jersey and then he launches up and knocks down the ball. I, I mean, here's the quote from Al Riveron. There was clear and obvious visual evidence that the defender significantly hinders the receiver's opportunity to make a play on the ball. I actually agree with him. I think that he's grabbing his jersey and launching himself up and pulling the receiver down and pushing himself up to knock the ball away. You can see it on my timeline at Will Brinson um, or at NFL officiating if you want to find it. Having said that, it's a subjective call. It's impossible to determine the exact intent, qualifications of the play. It's a it's it it it's this is going to be a problem. If they officiate pass interference replay like they have in the preseason, this is going to be a nightmare for football. I'm not going to overreact because I, I overreacted last year with the, with the roughing the passer, but this is a, a potentially burgeoning problem if the officiating crews don't just take it down a notch. And here's, here's the bigger issue is they can't take it down a notch. Coaches can challenge. Coaches should be firing out challenges right now, trying to figure out what these officials are going to do. Fire, throw your flags every time you get it's preseason. It doesn't matter. Throw your flags and figure out what the officials are going to do. So that way you know what to do in the regular season and don't look like a fool. All right. You don't want to look like a fool. You want to have good football information. So let's take a quick break. Then John Breach and I will talk to Warren Sharp of Sharp Football Analysis. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, 
Carter Finley. Shout out, Carter Finley. Or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip. Maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers. I used to go as a kid. I wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe. The Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. All right, joining the show now, as promised, I think for like the third or fourth time, which says uh, more about him being a nice person than me necessarily being a good booker slash host. Warren Sharp, what's going on, Warren? What's going on, Will? Yeah, the last time that I joined you was down at the Super Bowl live in person, and that was a fun show, and uh, we were previewing that game, and Excited to preview a whole lot more games this this season. I'm looking forward to this year. Well, I mean, I am uh, as usual. John John Breach and I are excited to talk to you, and, and I am I am as usual overwhelmed trying to dig through the uh, the sharp football preview for the 2019 season. Um, it is I I can't bring up my PDF. How many pages did you land on this year? I want to say it's like 259. <laughs> oh my god. That's a lot of pages. It's uh, full color, as you pointed out. Go to uh, sharpfootballanalysis.com. If you're listening to this, you need to go and purchase it. Uh, also there, you can get uh, some, of, some of Warren's be- uh, betting um, content, which is some of the best in the business. And I like, Warren, that you've added, like, you've got some writers now this year, too. Like, uh, like, like isn't Lord Reeves doing fantasy? And you got T.A. Cleveland um, doing some uh, preseason win total stuff. I, I love T.A. I find him to be pragmatic and sarcastic in both the same breath. Yeah, no, it's, it's really cool. Actually, it's fun for me because I quit my engineering job. So that's something I was doing for like 20 years. Wow. And now I'm no longer uh, spending time working for other people. I could sp- devote more to my own website and actually start hiring some people and paying them and kind of giving back a little bit and bringing those guys on board and letting them share some good content. So I'm really excited about you know, kind of how things have developed over the last month and a half at sharpfootballanalysis.com and looking forward to continuing, uh, you know, to develop that the rest of the season. Warren, I have to ask you, how did you ever find time to put this thing together while you also had a job as an engineer? Well, I actually, so in the years past, I've done both at the same time and it's tough. I mean, uh, so during the football season, I pretty much stay up until around 3 a.m. most nights. A wow. couple nights are, are a little bit later than that, and, and a couple nights are a little bit earlier than that, but um, never before like 1 a.m. And, and never, you know, on average, I'd say around 3. And um, But then that's only like during football season typically. But then I started wanting to write a book like this uh, a few years ago and just share some things that were a little bit different. I mean, there's a lot of great preseason publications. I like reading the Football Outsiders Almanac and – um, there's a couple of other ones, but I wanted to do something that I, I, I felt was a little bit easier to digest for like the casual fan while still touching on a lot of the analytical important areas that I wanted to share and that, you know, where I think the, the NFL is headed. Um, and so, you know, yeah, I started when I started writing this each year, uh, pretty much starts like in mid to late February. Uh, I'm up till like 3 a.m. many nights uh, working on this over the course of the off season. So uh, that's pretty much how I was able to do it while working as an engineer is just doing that. And, and now with me quitting the engineering job, you'd think I would have a little bit more time, but I really <laughs> have less time. So because uh, I'm like working on all the other business analysis and trying to grow things and that sort of thing. So 
I'm still up till pretty much 3 a.m. Most nights I got people are like, hey, can you talk tonight? I'm like, yeah, what do you mean by tonight? You you mean early morning or <laughs> you mean like late night? So Yeah, well, you know what they say, hard workers work hard. Uh, but you know what they also say? Dumb teams stay dumb. And I'm curious, Warren, when you when you look at all this data and all the, the trends in terms of play calling and success rate and everything that's going on in the NFL in 2019, what are – smart teams doing right now better than the dumb teams and i realize there's a you know there's probably a you know a big a small chunk of smart teams a small chunk of dumb teams and a big blend in between but i'm just curious where you really see that dichotomy building out well it's definitely with regard to how they're interpreting the data that they have in their possession because all the teams have data it's it's how are you taking that data analyzing it and then interpreting it to impact your decision-making on a game-planning basis and on a play-calling basis, right? Because those are the two main areas. I mean, you can use it for the front office to build out your roster, but those are the two main things that we're going to notice through the course of the 16 games. Uh, and certainly some of the teams are using the information uh, to help define their strategies, uh, increasing their pass rates, increasing uh, their pass rates on early downs, um, running when it's most opportune to run against, you know, boxes that aren't quite as stacked in situations where they're running out of spread formations, uh, passing out of heavier personnel groupings. Um, those are some of the things that like smarter teams are working on. Obviously you can talk about the play action and those types of things. Uh, the dumb teams are kind of avoiding doing that. They're, they're running the ball a little bit too often. They're not taking advantage of scouting their opponent to understand the strengths of their opponent and being willing to change their game plan on a week-to-week basis to maximize the leverage they have in winning that particular game. So they're like these guys, well, this is our philosophy, and so we want to do what we do. We want to do what we're good at. And so inevitably, they never really do enough to tweak their game plan, and that's exactly why, for example, the Seattle Seahawks lost to the Dallas Cowboys in the playoffs and ultimately why the L.A. Rams lost to the New England Patriots um, in the Super Bowl. It's because they weren't willing enough to tweak a few things to take advantage of some of the weaknesses of their opponents. And uh, more teams are so, – so that goes to show you, like, you can be a good team, have good players and good overall philosophy, but still not tap every element of, you know, proper what a smart team should be doing um, to win as many games as possible. But Warren, I'm glad you just said that because that literally dives into uh, this question I have for you. And it's, who do you think is the best team out there that would be better if they weren't being held back by coaching or the way they call plays or just the way they interpret analytics, maybe not in uh, the way they should be? Yeah, that, see, that, that type of question is great because, you know, not as many people are talking about that type of thing. Um, definitely, you know, it's hard to say a team like the Rams who were as good as they were couldn't do more because they do so many things intelligently on offense. Um, but there were a couple of tweaks that I would have advised they implement for the Super Bowl that probably would have uh, won that game. I think one of the teams that jumps to mind that I would say the most would be uh, the Seattle Seahawks right now. Their talent is decreasing over the years as more money is getting allocated to Russell Wilson. Their defense is losing a little bit of the leverage and strength that they've had historically. Um, but over the last few years, you know, they are not focused on the right things offensively to maximize what their potential is. I'd say another team would be the Green Bay Packers. Mm. Mentioning two teams that have really good quarterbacks, right, that could be doing more with what they've got. 
Um, and I think a lot of that had to do with the play calling and the decision making from the coaching staff. Um, there are a couple of teams that I don't really buy into the quarterback situation quite as much that could potentially maximize things more if they were a little bit more intelligent. One of which that jumps out to me is the Tennessee Titans. Like I don't have a lot of belief in Marcus Mariota. That being said, you know, they could probably tweak a few things and become a little bit more efficient of a team. And this has historically been a nine and seven team for the last three years. So imagine if they tweaked a few things, played a little bit more analytically correct. What could this team have, have eventually done? Now, do they beat the Patriots and get to the Super Bowl? Probably not, but they still could have been a little bit better than they were. I actually think they're going to regress this year and drop below nine and seven um, for the first time in, in a while. But uh, those are a few that jumped to mind early. Uh, you mentioned the Green Bay Packers. We had Josh Hirschmeyer from 538 on, and he has a, a story a story that came out on Thursday about – this is for Friday's podcast. We're recording on Thursday just to pull back the yield curtain uh, to the listeners. But you know, he pointed out that one of the things that's so surprising to him was how how infrequently and how terribly the Green Bay Packers under Mike McCarthy the last few years used play action. And in your book, uh, the Sharp Football Preview for 2019, you in the intro, in sort of the, the beginning parts, before you get to the team previews, you describe play action as a cheat code. Uh, is this is this something that teams are sort of starting to catch up on? And I know Kirk Cousins, oddly enough, because he doesn't really, you know, you see a guy grill the steak, grill steaks the way he does. Maybe you don't feel like he's as open-minded as he should be, but, but he said, you know, he said, my analytics guys gave us something. We don't even need to run the ball to, to operate play action. Where are teams on the, on the, on the scale in terms of catching up to this and figuring out that play action is, as you call it, a cheat code? Well, I think, Teams are obviously becoming more aware of it as more written material comes out. I, I think it's interesting. Football, NFL especially, is in a really interesting spot. It's so cool to be covering the sport right now where we are because um, even if you look back like four or five years ago, analytics was nowhere near where it is right now. And just imagine where it's going to be in a few years. Um, it, so it's really this like golden era of, access to information and trying to figure out what to do with it. And so inevitably, like a lot of the old school coaches still think that you have to establish the run in order to make play action work, uh, or you, you know, you have to set up the pass with the run. And we figured out that, no, that's not true. And they also think, well, you could use play action too much. And once again, no, that's not true. The defense tends to react similarly, might not be identical, but on a similar level, every single time that you're dropping back to utilize play action. So um, we're learning so much more now than we ever have in the past. Teams are starting to catch up, but even some coaches that I've spoken with uh, who were really like seeing eye to eye, like it, it was like a moment of clarity when I'm explaining some of these things to them. Then you hear them in a, in a press conference, like a month later, and they're still discussing like that. We want to use the run to set up the pass. And it's just like, I know I told you like 30 <laughs> things and you were writing them down, but like, that's one of the keys. Like you do not need to do that. So please don't say that publicly any, any longer. Um, so <laughs> I think we're coming around and more teams over the next couple of years are going to understand this, but we really are in a cool spot. Um, you know, as, as, as it relates to like the big grand scheme of things of football and, and its history. Yeah, no doubt about it. One, one of the things I think is interesting uh, that you also mentioned is the usage of 
third down running backs on first down. And surprise, surprise, the New England Patriots do this often. They have James White out there. I think you, you point out in the book at 44% of the time, or like, you know, 44% of the time on first downs, they have James White, who's a pass catching running back out there. And they utilize James White in situations that are traditionally run, you know, for, for traditionally based for defenses to stop the run. They pass, they pass to James White in, in, in short yardage situations. They get, they get a, you know, a favorable second down situation and then they're able to easily convert it. Is that something people are catching up to? And do you think that Christian McCaffrey uh, qualifies as an example of that given that while he is a great pass catcher, he is also a high first round running back? I'm curious to see how that, that juxtaposition works. Well, you're absolutely right. Um, there, there is definitely a, a trend that we're seeing emerge. I've been on the team running back pass for a long time now. Uh, we know that running back passes are more efficient than running back runs. And we also know that these guys are efficient out in space and are less likely to be injured out in space. And we know that the running backs is the most injured position in the NFL. A lot of those injuries are going to occur when they're running through huge offensive linemen and defensive linemen uh, and then having to deal with a linebacker barreling downhill straight at them. So um, many of those things are uh, improved when you actually start throwing the football to these guys. And if you just take a step back and, and just think about the NFL and think about like what are who are two of the smartest coaches in the league? Bill yeah. Belichick and Sean Payton would probably qualify in anybody's uh, pointing out of like some of the smartest coaches in the league. Who are two of the best quarterbacks in the league that are sh- first fire, you know, ballot first ballot Hall of Famers for sure? And Tom Brady and Drew Brees are two of those guys. And yet what we see is these two teams are leading the league over the last several years in percentage of passes on early downs that are going to running backs. So if two of the smartest coaches with two of the best quarterbacks that can make virtually any throw could put the ball wherever they want to target whatever types of players that they want, and they've got such great offensive systems, are relying so much on throwing the football to running backs on early downs, don't you think that's a good <laughs> strategy? I mean, just let, we don't even have to look at the numbers. Just like think about what the Patriots and the Saints are doing and try to copy that a little bit. Um, and so it clearly is an efficient way to operate your offense. Um, and secondly, you look at the guy like Cam Newton and Christian McCaffrey, when they started throwing the football more, I mean, it was, it was definitely something, um, if you read the Panthers chapter, that uh, like I've, I've had conversations with them about, throwing the football to Christian McCaffrey, moving the football earlier in, in downs to him through the air, not waiting to third down to throw him the football. That's the problem with Saquon Barkley right now in New York is they're throwing him the ball, but it's on third down and mm. they're not very successful doing that. You got to throw it to these guys on early downs. And guess what? That helps the quarterback. It increases his confidence, his completion rate. Um, it, it increases their uh, ability to gain yardage on that down as opposed to handing it off. And so Christian McCaffrey was a big reason why David Tepper came out after the week one game last year and said, we are trying to throw it more on first down. Um, and, and they certainly did compared to what they were at 2017. And Christian McCaffrey is, is a big part of that. Um, and it's definitely a reason why I'm actually pretty high on the Carolina Panthers this season. Ooh, that's what I like to hear. Cause I got a, I already got my futures in on the Carolina Panthers. Um, by the way, even away Brinson's dark horse here. No, no, I'm, I'm already, lo- I'm locked and loaded on the Panthers. Look, I, if, I, if you look at, if you look at the, at the NFC and you look at all the teams that are slated to finish third or fourth in their respective division. Yeah. Like there's, there's none of them that I feel like have a better chance of actually exceeding their win total and winning their division 
than I do of the Carolina Panthers. I think this is a team that has a legitimate shot of being in third place as the projected finish, but actually winning that division in the NFC South. It's not going to be easy because I respect the Saints, but I definitely think that they're a team that can accomplish that goal and certainly finish no worse than eight and eight, which is, you know, will beat their win total of seven and a half right now. Yeah. And I think actually uh, the win total got bumped by the Westgate up to eight. It had been, it, it was at seven and a half, like minus 120 when uh, with uncertainty with Cam got moved to 140, moved to 190, and they finally bumped it to eight. I mean, I, I got the seven and a half, so I'm, I'm thrilled with that. Really quickly, I know Breach has something, but I want to ask you, um, you tweeted something the other day. It was like the NFC champion three of the last four years was between 20 to one and 40 to one odds. Is that, do you think that's a result of misdiagnosing the market or is that just the parody within the division, within the conference that doesn't feature the Patriots? Yeah, absolutely. It's the parody um, within the conference that doesn't feature the Patriots. There's a lot of teams that have um, great opportunities on, on any given year, the three out of the last four years, those teams that ultimately won the NFC were teams that were below, that did not have a winning record the year before. I think one was eight and eight. Um, so if you look at like the Philadelphia Eagles, I think was one and the Carolina Panthers a couple of years before that. Um, these are teams that are, are able to make those jumps because there is a lot of parity in the NFC. I mean, if you look at the best teams, Drew Brees and the Saints were falling off a little bit late last year. I'm sure his shoulder is going to feel a lot better this season. You look at the Rams, they had a massive jump with Sean McVay there, but what happens if Gurley's not 100%? What happens if they sustain any other types of injuries? What happens if Goff regresses as he was doing a little bit under pressure and they don't have quite as healthy of an offensive line? I mean, you can write out different ways that some of those teams won't be able to get to that mountain and be in the NFC Championship game. And clearly all you need is a shot. And if you get that shot, you're going to be able to uh, potentially, uh, you know, win that division. And I think that there's a lot of teams that could be fighting for the playoffs in the NFC that weren't necessarily projected to be there or weren't necessarily there last year. NFC. So it's always up in the air, it seems like. So let's, let's flip over to the AFC real quick. And I'm going to ask you a specific question about one team. And it seems like when you talk about efficient football, efficiency is not running the ball on every play. And if there's any team this year that's going to run more than any other team in the NFL, it's the Baltimore Ravens. They just love to find the face of conventional wisdom, but they've built their offense around a quarterback who is good at running. He, he can take off. He can throw the ball. What do you think – what do you make of the Ravens' offense going into this season? And do you think it can be good this year? Or do you think the Chargers showed some sort of blueprint for how to slow them down? I'm actually more bullish on the Baltimore Ravens than most people. I think that this is a team that is building themselves exactly the way that they should. Uh, many teams are drop back quarterback, uh, pass the ball, pocket quarterback, and, and, and you should be building yourself accordingly. But when you have a quarterback like Lamar Jackson, you must do what the Ravens are doing. If you want the best chance to win football games, you do exactly what the Ravens are doing. You commit 100% to that strategy, and that's exactly the way that they're building their offense. So they are going to reach the maximum ceiling that this team possibly could reach because of the way that they've bought into changing everything about themselves from what they were with Joe Flacco to what they are now. Reasons to be, to be liking the Ravens this year include the fact that Lamar Jackson 
did not get number one reps in camp last season. He had to get inserted, what was it, week 10 or week 11, uh, just out of a bye, and they completely changed the offense. So as he's standing there on the sideline holding his clipboard week two, week five, week seven, watching what the offense did, like he now goes in and has to execute something totally different. They even like ditched the running backs that they were using, brought in totally new running backs to run this system. I mean, it's a complete wholesale strategy that you're changing mid-year. Um, yes, the Chargers came back and figured out a strategy of how to slow down this run game by throwing out a lot of guys in the secondary and having them come up and crowd the line and stop the run. But the good part for the Ravens is that didn't happen week one of this year. And they're saying, Oh shit, you know, what are we going to do now? That happened at the end of last season. And at the end of last season, now they have the whole off season to figure out mm. this is what teams might do. Now we can figure out a game plan to stop it. We got all off season to do so. In addition, on top of that, they did ultimately have to let Lamar Jackson throw the football a little bit late. And guess what ended up happening? They had some success, moved the ball down the field. I definitely think that this is going to play a factor in their ability and their confidence in Lamar Jackson this upcoming year to let him throw the football a little bit more frequently. Wow. Interesting. And, uh, yeah, one of the things we talked about with Josh yesterday was that the Ravens' EPA on pass plays on – First down late in the year was like really high. I mean, because people were so scared of the of Lamar Jackson running that they were back, you know, packing the box and 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 now they had Mark Ingram who ran really well out of shotgun last year and really basically always with the Saints. So it kind of makes a lot of sense. That, that's and guess cool. what? One thing also I'll get about the yeah. Ravens. One of the biggest criticisms that I get is, well, look at the run defenses that the Ravens faced when Lamar Jackson was in there. They weren't that good. And my response to that is. Right now, I'm projecting them to face the second easiest schedule of run defenses <laughs> over the entire season 2019. Oh so not every single game is going to feature an easy run defense. But all things being considered, they have an extremely easy schedule of run defenses. So even if they do rely more on the run, you're going up against teams that literally were the second worst on average and had the, had the worst defense against explosive runs in the league last year. So a lot of big chunk gains, and that's exactly what you would love to see on the ground out of this offense next year. Yeah, yeah for sure. And to give John Breach credit here, he pointed that out on the podcast the other day when I was complaining about that that run. It was like the Bengals, Chiefs, whoever else, you know, uh, Buccaneers, Falcons, whoever they had at the end of last year, Dolphins and uh, and Cardinals to start, and they stink against the run. I, I am curious, you know, you you've sort of handed it some some teams you like in terms of win totals, Warren, and I would not expect you to just give away. Uh, winners, but last year when you came on this pod preseason, you had the Bears over and the Colts over win totals, and that was when they were both at six and a half, I think, and those got smashed into oblivion. Um, so, I mean, look, I, I would tell people you can go to sharpfootballanalysis.com and there's a, it's like backslash props dash packages, and you can get Warren's futures package for 60 bucks, which is a steal because I think he got like 20 plus futures in there, and they hit it a 78% clip last year. Uh, it, it, is there anything, and you mentioned the Panthers, Panthers, I know you're bullish on the Ravens. Is there anything that, anything else that really popped in your eye in terms of a win total that you would be looking at? I'll, I'll, I'll give you two. We already talked about one, so I'll give you two like we did last year. Carolina over seven and a half, and there's still a little bit of it out there. Uh, you do have to pay some juice. I see it like out in, uh, I think it's in New Jersey at minus 150. Sure. Um, over eight is fine. Like, you know, if you want to save your juice, you know, I definitely wouldn't spend more than like 60 cents on it. Go ahead and just take over eight. 
the one that I like on the under is the Washington Redskins. Mm. Uh, it's still six and a half. And this team has the potential to be a, a, a just a just a trash heap this upcoming season. <laughs> I don't have a lot of confidence in what they're going to be doing from a quarterback position. We don't know what's going on with Colt McCoy, and we know that was a guy who got some run last year. Case Keenum's still trying to pick up this offense. They don't have great wide receivers. Um, they're playing in division with the Cowboys, who are going to be good this year. With or without Zeke, I still think Dallas is a respectable team. Um, this season, we'll have to see what the injury is to Amari Cooper. The Eagles are going to be even better than they were last year. And the NFC in general is just a tough, tough division. So, I mean, tough conference. The Washington Redskins are going to be in trouble offensively without Trent Williams at left tackle. He says he's not coming back. A lot of the beats that I was talking to don't don't think he's ever going to play in D.C. again. Um, and so this is legitimately a team that they're not going to tank intentionally to try to get that top pick because they just drafted a quarterback at 15th but if you can get a good pick this year it's going to be worth better picks in the future um, I just see this team struggling against what should be a pretty formidable schedule and I kind of like this this team to probably go under that six and a half I mean a six and ten season out of the Redskins when they were back to back seven and nine after the last couple of years I think a six and ten season is almost like a victory for these guys so uh, I, I kind of like the under here I'm with you, dude. If, if Jay Gruden goes seven and nine with what he, what he's been given in terms of the Trent Williams situation, um, an $84 million safety, uh, a rookie quarterback that the owner is clearly going to foist on him at some point in the middle of the year, he might, I mean, he could borderline deserve coach of the year votes for seven and nine there and, and hitting that over total, which would, nobody would like if you, if you bet on the Redskins under. Um, are the Panthers, you mentioned them, are they a legitimate Super Bowl contender or is it just, they're undervalued at seven and a half. Yeah, they're undervalued at seven and a half. Look, if Cam is healthy, um, I think that they've got, look, I was on the opinion that this team was going to be a problem last year. Was, was Norv Turner and Scott Turner going to gel with Cam and their system? Would he change? What's he going to do? I had a lot of questions. And so I bet they're under at nine wins last year. And obviously wow. that one won, but that only came to fruition because you know, they dropped a bunch of games down the stretch because Cam got hurt, right? I think this upcoming season, like, yes, they do play a tough schedule. They're in a tough division, but they've got enough teams along the way. We just talked about the Redskins. They also get the, the Bucks and the Titans, who we talked about earlier, uh, the Seahawks, who I think are in for a slightly down year. They got the Jaguars in Carolina. We'll see how Jacksonville looks this year. They get the Houston Texans, who I'm less high on than other people are. Um, so you factor in like all these other teams that they're facing who have decent pedigrees, but will they be as good as what everybody thinks that they should be this year? I don't know. I think Carolina is that team that could easily be nine and seven and would not surprise anybody this upcoming season. I love the fact that Ron Rivera is coaching up that defense right now. And that's going to, I mean, he's coaching for his job. These coaches are playing for their jobs. They're starting to incorporate more analytics into their decision-making. They've got, the second easiest schedule of opposing defenses in the league this season. So that offense should do well enough. And I think if Ron Rivera coaches up that defense, I think they aren't going to be in a good position. Look, they won seven games last year, going three and seven in one score games yeah. and, and having one of the most injured uh, teams in the league, right? They had, I think they were the 26th ranked team in terms of injuries uh, last season. That's seventh most injured. You go three and seven in one score games, 
and you're losing Cam Newton for many of your weeks and you still win seven games this year, we're only asking you to win over seven and a half. I think it's definitely feasible that this team wins eight or nine. Mm, I love it. All right. Last one for you. The one thing that I thought was interesting, um, Another, by the way, follow Warren on Twitter at Sharp Football. Um, you noted that uh, 28 of 32 teams over the last three years have a higher success rate thrown to tight ends than wide receivers. Is this something the league is caught on to? Is it problematic because there just aren't a ton of elite tight ends? Or, I mean, does that even matter when, when you're looking at this, these matchups? It does not even matter. It's agnostic of who exactly that tight end is. Many teams don't, I mean, everybody's drafting fantasy. We know that there's not yeah. as many elite tight ends around the marketplace. Um, but the fact of the matter is that when teams do throw to these tight ends, those targets offer more upside, they're more efficient, and they have a higher success rate. Um, so teams need to incorporate more targets to tight ends uh, right now than they otherwise are doing. I mean, throwing the football to your third wide receiver versus your tight end you should have many more targets to your tight end than that third wide receiver. But what teams inevitably are doing is they are passing the ball more. We've seen the rate of pass attempts have increased over the last few years. They are passing the ball more, but they're just trotting out more of 11 personnel, which is three wide receivers, one running back and one tight end. And they're just targeting those tight ends at the average rate. Those guys offer like a, a massive mismatch for a variety of reasons. Number one, you can utilize him in line and you don't know if he's going to run if it's going to be a run call or throw it to the football to him so he can run block he can pass block or he can go out on a route that's very different than what a wide receiver you know a guy in the slot is going to do he's not going to scare you whatsoever that he's going to uh run block like his run block's not going to scare you his pat he's not going to stay in to pass protect so there's less things that you can do with him you can motion these tight ends that you can move them to different locations and they just offer mismatches where pre-snap you can see, okay, he's matched up against this defender or he's matched up against that guy. And you cover him with the safety, you're going to have the size advantage. You cover with the linebacker, you might have the speed advantage. Uh, you have a height advantage, you have a reach advantage, a lot of things that take advantage of throwing the football to a tight end. And I think more teams need to do two things. Simply throw the ball more to tight ends. And number two, utilize more two tight end formations. You know, mm. 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends. Get multiple tight ends out there. Look at what Philadelphia has been able to do with that. Uh, it's a very effective weapon. And, you know, I, I realize that a lot of teams don't have that great second tight end. But even when the L.A. Rams utilized two tight ends against the Patriots in the Super Bowl, their efficiency was substantially higher than 11 personnel. They just refused to move away from 11 personnel fast enough and be willing to go with two tight end sets. They didn't have a lot of confidence in their second tight end. But the fact of the matter is when he was out there and they threw the football, they had a much better success rate, many more yards per attempt and, uh, and were a better overall offense. So teams need to be open to using more tight end sets and throwing the football more to them overall. Man, awesome stuff. Uh, Warren Sharp of Sharp Football Analysis.com. Make sure and go there and download the Sharp Football Preview for 2019. It is, I mean, it'll take you, you're going to need a, you better take a, you better take a vacation before the season because you're going to need that much time to read it. But it's that loaded. It remains uh, important throughout the entire year to help you as you look at these trends. Follow them at Sharp Football. Hey, buddy, I really appreciate you. You always take time for us, and uh, and it's always a very enlightening chat. Thanks, man. Thanks, guys. Enjoy your show, and, uh, and good luck previewing the rest of the season.